The Guardian. Hello, I'm John Dennis. Today, as David Cameron meets Barack Obama on his first visit to Washington as Prime Minister, in today's podcast, Gary Young on the special, or should that just be the relationship between the US and Britain. The special relationship has been far more special to Britain than it has to America. At a top-level summit in Kabul, NATO pledges to stay the course in Afghanistan. However, whilst the Secretary-General was sounding quite tough and, and, and making clear that there won't be a quick run for the exit. The XX and Dizzy Rascal are among the contenders for this year's Mercury Music Prize. Dizzy, I don't know really if that's his best music. It's certainly his most popular music, but uh, I think a lot of people who've followed him for a while might feel a bit disappointed. And in the Tour de France, Alberto Contador apologises to rival Andy Schleck for his breach of cycling etiquette. There are almost as many opinions on it as there are people following the Tour de France. But probably there's a majority that thinks that Contador did the wrong thing and he should have sort of abided with the old chivalrous code of, of cycling. First, our top story. The release of the Lockerbie bomber threatens to overshadow David Cameron's first visit to Washington as Prime Minister. Cameron agreed to meet four US senators who are calling for an inquiry into BP's lobbying role. I asked Guardian columnist Gary Young to describe the relationship between the Obama-Cameron administrations. My guess is that he sees the special relationship is as special as it can be. Um, Britain doesn't have, unfortunately, much of a foreign policy without it. I mean, it could have, but it doesn't. And yet, quite what it is has um, uh, never been particularly clear. Britain has had, since the decline of empire, this desire to be a conduit between uh, the rest of Europe and the states, that it was the one country that could, you know, go backwards and forwards and that could actually um, link the two. But that has not proven to be a particularly successful strategy if we look at the past eight years. Rather than uh, telling America what Europe thinks and then translating it back. It's really just been a mouthpiece for America to Europe and that has actually undermined its credibility as a conduit. And America, um, the Washington current administration, takes a bit of a dim view of the uh, Tories' allies in Europe, that there's a, a lack of influence that they're not aligned to the parties of Angela Merkel and Nicolas Sarkozy. Well, yeah. I mean, the special relationship has been far more special to Britain than it has to America. And with this particular administration, they are looking for uh, like-minded people who can lead on matters that are important to it, which makes perfect diplomatic sense. Well, here you have a British government that doesn't share America's view about global stimulus in terms of re-energising uh, uh, the economy, that doesn't actually have particularly good connections in Europe, can't particularly speak for Europe, isn't really in tune with the rest of mainstream European uh, thinking. And to that extent, it's not much use to America, uh, really, beyond its involvement in Afghanistan. What about the issue of um, the release of the Lockerbie bomber, uh, Adol Basit al-Magrahi? Um, how has that um, got come back into the news and what was BP's involvement in this? 
the the honest answer is I don't know what BP's involvement is, and um, I think that the most intelligent way that Cameron can handle that is is to say these were the actions of the previous government, and um, I am a new government, just as. The invasion of Iraq was the action of a previous American government, and um, you have a different idea about that. We might have done things differently, um, but this is where we are now. With actually BP itself and the oil spill, that's a kind of slightly different matter. Yeah, I mean, it pr- promises to be quite a toxic issue for Cameron, doesn't it? It could be. It could be if he decides that he's going to go and bat for BP. I think that would be a strange thing for him to do, not least for two reasons. First of all, BP is perfectly capable of banking for itself. And secondly, uh, while it carries the name British Petroleum, it's a multinational company. There is no reason for the British government to bat for it any more than there is any uh, any other country. BP is far more powerful already and has far more resources than most countries in the world. So um, why Britain would want to hitch its uh, fortune to a struggling company with a dire record and an appalling reputation is beyond me. Gary Young, and there's full coverage at guardian.co.uk slash politics. There'll be no quick exit for international forces from Afghanistan. That's what the Secretary General of NATO warned today at a high-level conference in Kabul. The US Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, pledged she wouldn't abandon women's rights in any political settlement, and she reaffirmed America's intention to begin withdrawing troops next July. The July 2011 date captures both our sense of urgency and the strength of our resolve. The transition process is too important to push off indefinitely, but this date is the start of a new phase, not the end of our involvement. We have no intention of abandoning our long-term mission of achieving the kind of Afghanistan that President Karzai set forth in his speech. The Afghan president, Hamid Karzai, insisted that Afghan security forces should take full control of military and police operations by 2014. I remain determined that our Afghan national security forces will be responsible for all military and law enforcement operations throughout our country by 2014. Our National Police and National Director of Security have also shown progress. The Guardian's John Boone is in Kabul. The Secretary-General today made clear that withdrawal from Afghanistan will be a slow process and will continue long after the 2014 uh, aspiration, which is the date confirmed today by Hamid Karzai, when Afghan troops and policemen are expected to take over from NATO forces. However, whilst the Secretary General was sounding quite tough and and, and making clear that there won't be a quick run to the exit, um, it's clear that he is unhappy with the pace of change or or the pace of that transfer of power because General David Petraeus, the US commander of NATO forces in Afghanistan, seems to have successfully slowed down the rate at which we were expecting that transfer of power to go. Earlier on this year, we were told that uh, a couple of provinces in the northwest of Afghanistan would begin to transfer to Afghan control by the end of the year. It appears that contrary to what the NATO Secretary General would like, that process is now going to be kicked 
out into uh, later next year. So uh, slowing down the process because security conditions on the ground don't yet allow for uh, those provinces to be transferred. Nevertheless, the uh, Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, uh, reaffirmed the American decision to start withdrawing troops in a year's time. She did. It was a somewhat defensive assertion of that because the July 2011 deadline for the U.S. Search surge to come to an end and for troops to begin to come back home has been heavily criticized by people who believe that it's given uh, succor to the insurgents who read that as meaning that, that the U.S. would not persist in this mission in Afghanistan. So it was a somewhat uh, defensive um, reassertion of the July 2011 deadline. And uh, any sign, John, that uh, the US is changing its approach on whether or not to talk to the Taliban? There were no signs from this conference whatsoever. The US, uh, the, the, the standard lines were repeated that the Americans and the NATO allies will welcome what's known as reconciliation with the Taliban provided that those insurgents and those insurgent leaders lay down their arms, recognize the Afghan constitution, and agree to live in peace in Afghanistan. Now, many people say that those preconditions are too tough, and you're not going to get very far um, unless there's a greater willingness to compromise. And whilst we have heard in uh, recent weeks, uh, not least through The Guardian's own reporting from Washington, that does appear to be a real change of heart amongst policymakers in Washington, that uh, those messages were not really reflected yet in this conference. John Boone in Kabul. Guardian Daily. News and reports from around the world. My name's John Dennis. You're listening to Guardian Daily. Now, music. by The XX, one of the artists on the shortlist for this year's Mercury Music Prize for 2010's Best Album. The editor of The Guardian's music website, Tim Jones, says The XX are the bookmaker's favourites. Yeah, favourite depends on who you're you're looking at. Lots of different uh, betting websites have them all on different uh, odds, actually. But The XX, I think, are definitely uh, definitely the favourites, really. I think everyone's thinking they're going to win. And it would be a strange list that didn't include those two, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Dizzy, I don't know really if that's his best music. Um, it's certainly his most popular music, but uh, I think a lot of people who've followed him for a while might feel a bit disappointed that, you know, this is the one that's kind of, obviously he won it before, but this is, you know, one that's getting recognised by a, by an awards panel. But there's some other strong contenders. Paul Weller, who's uh, enjoying something of a creative renaissance at the moment. Yeah, that, I mean, his new album has is, is got rave reviews, really. It's, it's much more kind of experimental than, you know, he'd got in, a bit stuck in a rut, I think, making the same old uh, kind of dad rock record. So, yeah, it's good It's good that he's, you know, he's reinvented himself so many times, so it's great to see that recognised. And uh, Wild Beasts, who our colleague Alexis Petrudis described as a band whose faces seem set permanently to poe. 
<laughs> well, he, he really doesn't like them. Um, he can't say their name without uh, pronouncing it in a ridiculous uh, falsetto. Um, I have to say Wild Beasts are definitely the ones I want to win. Um, the XX is my favourite album on there, but that's already had its moment, really, hasn't it? Last year, everyone, it was Album of the Year everywhere. I think Cajun Avery Bird gave it Album of the Year, so I don't think... Uh, don't think we need to worry about them get losing out on plaudits. So I think Wild Beast, that's who I'd, I'd like to see win. about uh, Corinne Bailey Ray because it's quite an interesting album it's an in partly it's an elegy to her husband who died during the writing of the album yeah um again I can see why that's in there definitely I think you know she really progressed from her first album which was seen as a very middle of the road soul album you could say the same thing about this one but it definitely has an emotional depth that you know she hadn't hadn't found previously and uh, what about albums that should have appeared on there but uh, notable notable for their absence well a lot of our readers were up in arms at the lack of gorillas and fuck buttons um to, and these new puritans as well but um i think gorillas don't put their albums forward to this sort of thing and i have a feeling we haven't been able to confirm it but i don't think fuck buttons did either i think you know there is a, especially after what happened to speech to bell last year i think there's a slight you know feeling that maybe you don't want to be nominated because it's just, you know, just a bit of an albatross, really. Yeah, run through what happened to Speech to Bell, because there has been a bit of a curse of the Mercury Prize, hasn't it? Yeah, there? there had been, and then they started giving it to people who just were already successful or, or you know, back in, back in people who went on to be successful. Um, yeah, the, the curse of the Mercury has, you know, Talvin Singh, I think. Um, so they win the prize and then they go on to obscurity. You know, it used to try and pick challenging albums. I guess, I guess it kind of makes sense that they... You know, they weren't the most commercial albums they'd picked, so, you know, maybe people just didn't want to buy them. But, yeah, Speech to Bell was a very sudden thing. You know, she was playing to em- empty student unions and stuff. and Only or, weeks after yeah, the um, Yeah, and, and I think people didn't like the fact that she maybe, hate to say it, seemed quite a bit f- a bit full of herself after a, after a winning. Well, you would be, wouldn't you? Well, you would be, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> what about, there's always an outside um, contender, isn't there? And this year it's uh, Kit. Downs Trio, I, not not a, an act I'm familiar with. Well, I've, I've got all of their albums, and I'm pleased. That <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean, I, I was saying this earlier. It's in a way, it's obviously a surprise. No one would have said, "Oh, bet Kit Downs Trio on there." In another way, it's not a surprise at all because it's token, kind of weirdo, it's obscure jazz album that you know. We and I, to be honest, this is what the Mercury is for. I wish there was a couple more like that. Really, there you thought, "Who the hell are they?" and went out and had a listen, and you know, maybe few people will end up liking it and buying it. They dance like sirens Hoping the sun will come out again And I was born in the fog of that day Could they hear a babe Under all that's Made by Made by Laura Marling, another artist on the Mercury Prize shortlist, and the winners announced on the 7th of September. Now, as the Tour de France approaches its climax, the rivalry between the two front runners has intensified. Alberto Contador has apologised for taking advantage of Andy Schleck's mechanical problems to take the yellow jersey worn by the race leader. 
The Guardian's chief sports writer, which the the Guardian's chief sports writer Richard Williams says the duel's one of the tour's great contests. Yes, it's been simmering along for uh, for a fortnight, and it. Um it sort of burst into flame on Monday night when uh, there was an extraordinary incident when Schleck tried to attack um, off the front of the, the group that also contained Contador, just below the summit of the Port de Balais, a big, big climb, uh, before just before the end of the stage. And as Schleck was attacking and Contador was trying to respond, Schleck's chain came off, which sounds like the sort of thing that might happen when you're going down to the post office or something on your um, on your rally bike uh, but it happens to racers as well why it happened maybe Schleck was trying to change gear as he was pressing the attack uh, maybe the chain came off because of that and some people say you know if that happened then it's his fault but what happened was that um, Contador attacked and went past Schleck just as he was slowing to a stop in order to get off and put his chain back on and Contador kept attacking now, the etiquette in cycling is that um, if the guy wearing the yellow jersey has a problem, if he crashes or he has a mechanical problem, then the others are supposed to sort of throttle back and wait for him to uh, sort out whatever the problem was and catch up. Cycling's a funny sport in that respect and a rather admirable one that um, although, of course, you fight, you fight tooth and nail for a win, you don't take unfair advantage, especially of the uh, the yellow jersey wearer. But anyway, Contador pressed the attack, and in the end, he uh, he finished the stage with a, enough of an advantage to take the yellow jersey from Schleck by eight seconds uh, as, a, as a consequence. So there's a huge, huge furore about it. Um, there are almost as many opinions on it as there are people following the Tour de France. But probably there's a majority th- that thinks that Contador did the wrong thing and he should have sort of abided with the old chivalrous code of, of cycling and, um, and waited for Schleck. Anyway, Contador's now apologised, more or less, so he seems to recognise that uh, he made a mistake. Now, how important might today turn out to be in the uh, finale of the Tour de France? Well, the way things are looking today isn't going to be decisive. There are four big climbs today um, and it looks as though Schleck and Contador are sticking in the peloton and uh, probably not going to attack each other. The chief thing today is whether Lance Armstrong can win a stage, which he's trying to do before. You know, he's so far down on time now that um, you know there's absolutely no chance of him finishing with a significant position in the in the overall classification. But uh, what he'd like to do is, uh, is 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 leave the Tour de France, which he's won seven times, and this is his last year. He'd like to leave it with a stage win, which would be a, pretty fair way to go but um, asking a lot of him at 38. Richard if you were to predict who's going to win in a week's time who, who do you think would, would it will it be? Well it looks very much like Contador even if he made a terrific gesture and gave Schleck back in somewhere or another the time that he took off him in Monday's stage still he's got this 52 kilometer time trial coming up on Saturday and Contador is a much better time trialer than, than Schleck. So the feeling has always been that Schleck has to arrive at that time trial with a lead of anything around three minutes would probably do, somewhere between two and a half and three and a half minutes in order to absorb the time that Contador is likely to take out of him in that time trial on the next to last day. And it's looking very unlikely that he's going to be able to do that now. Contador is you know, going to mark him all the way through the, the remaining stages and barring something 
fantastically dramatic in the last mountain stage, which ends at the top of the Col de Tourmalet on Thursday. Contador's probably got his third Tour de France in the bag. Guardian Daily was produced today by Rob Kahn, and my name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.